Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Uh, Dr. Sinclair Ferguson, you just sound smarter with a foreign accent, don't you? Um, he's teaching a Sermon on the Mount, and Pat April is leading that for the men's Bible study on Saturday mornings, 8 o'clock. Coffee, donuts, and that. Uh, and you can also find that on Right Now Media if you've gotten that app. If you haven't, let us know. Uh, before we get into anything else, I want to dismiss uh, the galaxy in the upper room. You guys can head to your guys uh, to classes. And while the uh, young people are on their uh, way out, just a, a couple things to run by you. One is, I hope you're still grabbing a bulletin, taking it home. There's lots of prayer requests in there. Uh, Megan and I were talking either this morning or, or last night. My memory's fuzzy. There just seems to just be a flood of prayer requests um, coming in. Some hit with COVID, uh, others just dealing with serious medical problems or family problems. And, and so just be taking them for the Lord every single day. And um, it really is powerful when we go to the throne together in prayer. So please be doing that. Just take that bulletin home with you. Go to the, the sick list, or as Dad calls the puny list, and go through that. Just pray over it every single day. Um, second thing is, real quick, uh, tomorrow is a holiday. Tomorrow would have been the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s 92nd birthday uh, tomorrow. And uh, if ever his message was relevant, it is today uh, for peace and uh, coming together. Well, um, I got some snarky comments as I came in. Yes, I am dressed comfortably. Oh, you weren't the only one, Ricky. And so I got it last night and today. But since I'm preaching on legalism, it fits. So those of you who met your snark, shame on you. Um, uh, because we're talking about legalism. Now, legalism can take another number of forms. If you look at your sermon notes in the bulletin, there is a definition in there that I took from a guy named Stephen Cole who runs a great website called Bible.org, and he used to teach at Dallas Theological Seminary. But that's not the only definition of legalism. Legalism is actually pretty broad. And so, you know, I, I, we're going to go through this, and, and quite frankly, it's going to hit everybody. And I'm not going to apologize for that because that's what Scripture does. And I'm just, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just reporting it. That includes you watching online, which, welcome. Legalism can take a number of forms. Uh, first form is this. You begin adding things to Scripture. You begin adding rules to Scripture. The thou shalts and the thou shalt nots cannot be found in the Bible, but you live by them and you judge people based upon them. Now that's a problem. So, for example, um, there may be very good reasons that people should not drink alcohol. If you have an addictive personality, you know, you, you have alcoholism in your family, whatever, you, you should probably stay away from it. But, and this cracks me up because Back before the pandemic, if Megan and I went out to eat at some place that served spirits, we'd walk in someplace like Applebee's or whatever, and we'd see somebody from church with a beer, and you should see what they do to try to hide it from me. You know? They'll try to lean forward in front of the beer. Some of them are such cowards, they try to slide it over to their wife's side. You know, like, I'm buying that. Look, you know, Scripture says we're supposed to obey the law, so therefore if you're over 21 and you're not driving anywhere and you want to have a beer, I could care less. I could care less. Because it's not scriptural to say, as some people do, that you cannot, if you're over 21, drink alcohol. That's just not true. Now, Scripture does say that drunkenness is a sin. And for you young people watching online, buzzed counts. 
about having a beer or drink. It has nothing wrong with that. Smoking. Smoking may, is bad for your health. It's not recommended. Common sense tells you that. But it's not sinful. There's nothing in Scripture that, that, that says you can't do that. Now, I know what some of you think. Oh, but your body is a temple. We'll get to that in a second. That is not what that verse means. Not what it means. So you've got that. You've got elevating some commands over others, which we'll talk about in a minute as well. And I've seen it. I've seen in churches where a guy can be as greedy as Scrooge, as Scrooge McDuck, just hoarding his wealth, not helping any of his brothers or sisters in need, but if he dare pat the fanny of a woman that's not his wife, we lose it. Now, I am not saying, do not go out and quote me as saying that men should go out and pat another girl's fanny. That is not what I am saying. What I'm saying is sin is sin. Greed is sin. It's that simple. It's all sin. You cannot pick which sins to elevate above others. You can't do that. The Bible doesn't do that. You just can't. And the third one, and by the way, the Pharisees were guilty of all of these, is elevating the letter of the law over the spirit of the law. Let me give you an example. Uh, back when I started working in churches, uh, the first church I worked at was an inner city, multiracial church in Abilene, Texas, where I was the youth minister there for a couple years. And typically, I could not understand the sermons because the preacher either spoke in Korean or Chinese, and I, I didn't know what was going on. And so my mentor, the late Dr. Charles Seibert, told me, he said, Matt, every preacher needs a preacher. You need to find a preacher to listen to so that you don't become haughty, you, you have somebody pouring into your life just like you should be pouring into others. I said, okay. And so he lent me some of these things called cassette tapes. About yay big, they were plastic, you could put them in a player and it would play audio. Google it. And he gave me these cassette tapes of Dr. Fred Craddock, and he quickly became one of my favorite preachers, and Dr. Craddock finally came to... Abilene to speak. Little guy, passed away about seven years ago. Little guy about 5'3", five, 5'4". Five, and somehow he was the quarterback of the football team in his little town. Imagine that. But he told this story. <clears throat> he was teaching at Emory University, preaching at the Candler School of Theology at Emory University in Atlanta. He had been at a conference, and he was headed home. Now, this is like springtime, and he got out late. Because he was the best-known speaker, every preacher there was trying to get him to sign something or talk to him. So he didn't get out of there until like 11 o'clock, and he's driving home. He decides to take a shortcut, and he's driving through a little town about midnight on a Thursday night in the spring. And he sees the science is 35 miles an hour, so he slows down from 55 to about 40, doing about 40 and a 35. About five minutes later, woo, 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 it's pulled over. He said, officer, what? I know it was going a little fast, but he said, did you not see? It's 25 miles an hour through here. It's a school zone. A school zone? At midnight on a Thursday night? And the cop said, does it say except for midnight on a Thursday night? Gave him a ticket. That is what's called elevating the letter of the law over the spirit of the law. Yeah, you're supposed to slow down in school zones, but that's when kids will actually be there. That's the whole point. If they're out on a school night at midnight, it's the parents who should be arrested. But he lost. That's legalism. Now, the reason why legalism, we're going to see here in a minute, that it goes all the way back, thousands of years. And the reason it continues in so many different pockets of Christianity, right, left, and center is because so many people find it attractive. 
One of the reasons people find legalism attractive, all these different rules and, and all this other kind of stuff, is because it provides them structure and identity. And it also feeds their pride. Because if you can keep the rules, you feel like you're a darn good Christian. But there's a problem with that. And the early church struggled with it as well. Let's go to Acts 15. That's where we're at, chapter 15, verse 1. We're not going to do the whole chapter this week. 1 through 35. Verse 1, 15, 1. Then certain individuals came down from Judea, that's to Antioch, where Paul and Barnabas are, and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Remember, these are Gentiles they're talking to. Gentiles were not circumcised at birth. Uh, Gentiles in the Roman Empire thought circumcision was mutilation. And after Paul and Barnabas had a, a, a no small dissension and debate with them, that means they had a knockdown, drag out argument, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to discuss this question with the apostles and the elders. So, you remember last week, Paul and Barnabas are the first Christian missionaries. And they take off from Antioch, and they go through islands, and they go through modern-day Turkey, and so forth. And they're working through, and they're spreading the gospel, and they're planting churches. And they come home, and they celebrate with the church there in Antioch, because so many people had been saved, and everybody's celebrating. And then they turn around, and there's this bunch of fellow Jews going, well, wait a minute. They have to be circumcised, and they have to obey the law of Moses. And Paul's like, what? And so this becomes such a debate and argument that they're like, okay, 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 we need to settle this. Paul and Barnabas, you go to Jerusalem, and you go see James, the brother of Jesus, and you go see Peter, and you go see John, and let's settle this once and for all. And so that's what they did. Now, you need to understand something. The people who came down, as we'll see in a minute, who came from Judea, that's around Jerusalem, down to Antioch and were stirring this trouble, were Pharisees like Paul who had come to accept Jesus as the Messiah. The Pharisees, which are a denomination with, within early Judaism, remember, there's about three big denominations within Judaism. There are the Pharisees, there are the Sadducees, and there's what's called the Essenes. And so there's these three big divisions. The Pharisees were the most popular. They took circumcision so seriously as a prerequisite to fellowship that in the 40s, when a famine broke out in the Middle East, and you'll remember, if you remember a few chapters ago, there were some prophets who came to Paul and said, there's going to be a famine coming. And so when the famine broke out, a bunch of Gentiles from Syria up north of Israel began to come down to Jerusalem and Caesarea because they knew they had stored some wheat there. They had some food. And when they came in, the Pharisees threw a fit. They said, well, if they're going to come here and eat and stay with us, they need to be circumcised first. You want to talk about earning your meal? I think I'd rather starve. But where they're coming from is, hold on a second. This is commanded by God. This goes way back. Heck, God was even going to kill Moses if he didn't get circumcised. They took it that seriously. That's where they're coming from. Verse 3, 15-3. So they were sent on their way by the church, and as they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, they reported the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all believers. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. These elders were most likely people who were running small churches in and around Jerusalem appointed by the apostles. And they reported all that had God had done with them. But some believers, verse 5, who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees or the denomination of the Pharisees, stood up and said, it is necessary for them to be circumcised and ordered to keep the law of Moses. Now, when they say the law of Moses, they don't mean the Ten Commandments. They don't mean Leviticus. That is not what they mean. They include what's called the tradition of the elders, all these rules that the Pharisees had built up over the years. And we'll get back to that in a second. What I find most impressive about this, what Luke captures here, is you're going to notice the Apostle Paul 
who had a notorious temper, is incredibly patient because he doesn't go off on him. Paul typically had very little patience. I think out of respect for James and Peter and John, he kept his mouth shut. Verse 6, the apostles and the elders met together to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, My brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them, gave witness to them, by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, he has made no distinction between them and us. By the way, that is still true. Doesn't matter your past, doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter what you've done. If you've come to faith, received the Holy Spirit, you are an equal plane with every other believer. I don't care if that's Billy Graham, I don't care who that is. All on the same plane. Verse 10, now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Still true. So Peter is referring back to Acts 10. Do you remember this? And Peter came into this difficulty. Remember this? Peter is praying. He's on a roof. He's praying. Some Gentiles have been sent by angels to go get Peter and have Peter preach to them. He would not have done that on his own. But he's sitting there and he's praying on a rooftop. And all of a sudden, God comes down and shows him all these unclean animals and says, eat them. And Peter's like, this is a test. I'm not falling for this. And God said, Peter, bacon is now on the menu. And what God was telling them in that vision is, if the dietary laws no longer hold, a lot of those are gone. There's some Gentiles here to see you go. But they're unclean. I said go. No distinction. And it's still one of my favorite parts of Scripture, as I've told you before, that Peter's preaching to him, And God's like, okay, you're long-winded. That's enough. And the Holy Spirit falls on him. They start speaking in tongues and interrupts his sermon. I love that. God's way of saying shut up. Verse 12, the whole assembly kept silence and listened to Barnabas and Paul as they told of all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles, non-Jews. And after they had finished speaking, James replied, my brothers, listen to me. Now, this James, you're about to see how much authority James had. Once again, there is a common myth, and this is a myth, that Peter was the head of the early church. Not true at all. As you're going to see here in a second, the one who makes the decision, and everybody just nods, is James, the brother of Jesus. He was the leader of the early church. So James stands up. Everybody goes silent. He says, my brothers, listen to me. He says, Simeon, that's Peter, has related how God first looked favorably on the Gentiles. To take from among them a people for his name, his purpose. This agrees with the work of the prophets, as it is written. After this... I will return, and I will rebuild the dwelling of David which has fallen. From its ruins I will build it up, the kingship of David given to Christ. And I will set it up so that all other people may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles over whom my name has been called. Thus says the Lord who has been making these things known from long ago. Now notice this, what James says. Therefore, I have reached the decision. In other words, he's the, he's the deciding vote. That we should not trouble those Gentiles who are turning to God. But we should write to them to abstain only from things polluted by idols and from fornication, that's sex outside of marriage, and from whatever has been strangled and from blood. For in every city for generations past, Moses has had those who proclaim him, for he has been read aloud every Sabbath in the synagogues. What does James mean by that? Does he, has he just set up a rule? No, 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 he hasn't. I'll explain it here in a second. Because it's going to repeat itself. And when Scripture repeats itself, pay very close attention. And the reason that Luke is about to repeat this and include the letter that James just dictated is because this was a big deal. It doesn't strike us as a big deal. But trust me, if you were a Gentile believer, a non-Jewish believer in the first century in the Roman Empire, this was a big deal. Then the apostles and the elders, with the consent of the whole church, 
decided to choose men from among their members and to send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leaders among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the believers of Gentile origin in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that certain persons who have gone out from us, though with no instruction from us, have said things to disturb you and have unsettled your minds, we have decided unanimously to choose representatives and send them to you, along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to impose on you no further burden, other than faith, than these essentials, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what is strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So they were sent off and went down to Antioch. And when they gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter, which means they read it aloud. And when its members read it, they rejoiced at the exhortation. Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, had much to encourage and strengthen the believers. And after they had been there for some time, they were sent off in peace by the believers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained at Antioch, and there with many others. They taught and proclaimed the word of the Lord. So this comes out. No more of this. The decision is made by James, seconded by Peter, John, Paul. Everyone said, look, for those who are not Jews coming in, they don't have to be circumcised. They don't have to do all this stuff. But they do have to do this one thing. Why? Why? What James is speaking of when he says, no food strangled, no blood, no fornication. Those three things happened in one place. The pagan temples. If you were to eat food with blood, that means it was sacrificed to a false god. If you were to engage in sex outside of marriage, 99% of all Gentiles in the Roman Empire went to the temple because the temple is where the prostitutes were. What James is saying is this. You can't do that anymore. He's not putting down rules. He's saying you cannot worship anyone but the one true God. You can't even go through the motions of worshiping someone other than the one true God. You cannot. And this was a big deal. And the reason this was such a big deal was because if you were a Gentile in the Roman Empire and you were a business person or you were a laborer looking for work, you did not go print off your resume and go shopping around town. Guess where you went? You went to the party at the pagan temple to go network with the boys. You wanted your business to grow. You went to the pagan temples and you partied. And you had wine and you had food sacrificed to idols. And then at some point they'd be, bring out the girls. And this was just common practice. This was accepted. And this is why James does this and repeats it, saying, you can't do that anymore because your loyalty to Jesus Christ comes first. You cannot have anything to do with a false religion. That's what James is saying. That's not a rule. That is something we should all naturally want to do if we love Jesus Christ. But it's so counterintuitive to how they did business, James has to really push this. And we're coming back into that culture now. It, when you read through Timothy and Titus, you read through Corinthians, you read through Romans, and you see Paul make statements about fornication, about being, a, as he tells Timothy, a one-woman man. We read that and go, well, duh. Well, if you've raised in church, it may be a duh. But if you were a non-Jew in the first century, you were like, wait, wait a minute, what? One Roman historian said every Roman man has a wife, a favorite prostitute, and a girlfriend. 
And that was accepted practice. That was no big deal. And so when Paul comes along and says, no. They were like, wait a minute, what? Now, I've seen that myself. I spent more than four years preaching at a ministry I co-founded called Revolution. And one night, I was preaching, and there was a guy up front. And when I used to preach a revolution, it was really dark. We kept things, everything but the stage, really dark. I could only see the front row. There was a guy sitting in the front row. And I was talking about how the Bible teaches that sex outside of marriage is sinful. And I looked up, I just happened to say that while I looked up and he went, And he'd been coming to church for months. And so afterwards, I was like, what? Why'd your jaw drop? He goes, that doesn't make any sense. He goes, you test drive a car, don't you? I said, boy, you say sweet nothings to your girlfriend, don't you? You're a real romantic. Nope. I said, sorry. You love Jesus Christ. More than that, that's what you'll do. Well, it is. That's not some rule you have to follow. That's something the Holy Spirit should place in, it'd be inside of you when you're a Christian as part of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh, quit texting me, whoever you are. And so that's what he's doing. Now, this is, this is very different from what the Pharisees were teaching. When the Pharisees said... These new, these Pharisees who had become Christians, when they're sitting there going and, and they got James and Peter and John and Paul and everybody, they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, 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 no. Okay, fine. Non-Jews can claim Jesus as the Messiah and can come worship with us, but first they have to get circumcised and then they have to keep the law of Moses. And when they talked about the law of Moses, as I said, it's not the Ten Commandments. They had this thing called the tradition of the elders. It was an oral tradition of interpretation of the Old Testament and then rules that followed from those interpretations. And the Pharisees had this. They called it the tradition of the elders. And later on, after Israel was destroyed by the Roman Empire, they began to write them down. You can buy them. One of those copies, there's one book about Yathik called the Mishnah. There's another 20-volume work called the Talmud. 20 volumes of rules from interpretation of the Old Testament. 20 volumes, thousands and thousands of pages. Now do you understand why Peter says we weren't able to bear that burden? Now do you understand why even though Jesus Christ says, follow, pick up your cross and follow me, you may die for it, but at the same time, he says my burden is light. So he's saying, look, all you need to have is the Holy Spirit to guide you. You don't need this, all these rule books. That's what he means. That's what he's talking about. Their interpretation of the Old Testament was, oh my goodness sakes. So, for example, if you pick up the Mishnah or you pick up the Talmud, I don't recommend it. It's not, they're not page turners. Sabbath laws. You remember the Pharisees took the Sabbath very seriously. Now what was the point of the Sabbath? Do you know? The point of the Sabbath was so your whole family could worship God together. And two, especially so the poor working man could have a day off. Remember, they didn't have a 40-hour work week. Most people work seven days a week. The Romans work seven days a week. They thought Jews were lazy. They called them lazy. They, took, they get a day off. We don't get a day off. They work seven days a week. God said, nope. Especially the laborer needs a day off, and that day should be spent in rest and in worshiping me with their family. That's the point of the Sabbath. But the Pharisees took it the next step. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do this. You can't do this on the Sabbath. You can't do that. You can't do this. To this day, I've been to Israel. Many of you have been. My wife cannot wait to go to Israel. She's been looking at a doctoral program she wants to go to that probably is a bit of ways because she's just too busy with full-time work in the bold movement to go take on another, uh, another degree. But she really wants to go. And it's in Chicago. She'd have to fly there a couple times a year. 
And I think that the biggest reason she wants to go is their graduation ceremony is in Israel, and she's always wanted to go to Israel. Her grandma, her late grandma, Gigi, was a, was a big fan of Israel, and she can't wait to go. But I've told her, I said, look, don't, don't idolize Israel. I've been there. Many of you have been there. There are some spots of Israel that look like Myrtle Beach with all the stuff they're selling, all the junk they're selling. Other spots are like bad parts of New Mexico. And, and, but here's the thing. If you go, and the guides won't take you there, my brother and I went, because the last time I went, it was March Madness, and we were trying to find a sports bar somewhere in downtown Israel that had the games on. But they were only playing soccer. Well, a lot of sanctification needs to happen in Israel. So anyway, we were looking around, and we were talking to some folks. there, and, and I've seen the video of this. There are certain spots in Jerusalem where if you're a Gentile especially, you better not go, especially on the Sabbath. Because there are Orthodox Jews there that if they see you walking around casually on the Sabbath or driving, they'll throw rocks at you to this day. Because you're violating the Sabbath, and how dare you? It's still around. And the rules they had, goodness sakes. So the first time they came up with the rule was this. How far could you walk on a Sabbath day? They came up with, the one rabbi came up with 2,000 cubits, that's .596 miles. Now, before Fitbits and, I, and these iWatches, where they're, how would you measure that? How would you know? So finally, the rabbi said, okay, it's this many steps, this many thousand steps you can take. How would you like to spend every Saturday measuring every step you took to make sure you didn't get in trouble? What happens when you're pushing 50 like me and you got to go to the bathroom 10 times a day? Does that count? And what happens? I mean, what? I'm serious. Dude. And I guess I would go like this to get to the bathroom so I wouldn't violate the Sabbath. What happens when you really get old? Does this count? When you're shuffling, how many steps is that? It's silly. It was just silly. This is why Jesus says, this is nonsense. That's not scriptural. That's nonsense. That's why, see, what Jesus was trying to get through to the Pharisees and couldn't, didn't. They they refused it. And even those who later call him Messiah refused it was this. He kept saying, it doesn't begin with all these rules you follow. It starts in your heart. If your heart hasn't been broken by the cross of Jesus Christ, no matter what else you do, it's a waste of time. It begins here. That's why in Luke 11, he looks at the Pharisees and says, you guys are like cups or bowls that have been washed on the outside and the inside is just filthy. That's what he's talking about. And legalism has done so much damage to the church. Legalism and hypocrisy have done more damage to the church than anything else when it comes to the unchurched and how they view the church. The gospel of Jesus Christ, which if you're watching me online and you think that church is about obeying these rules and putting on a good face, that's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about this. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ, which means this. Jesus, God incarnate, lived a perfect life in part to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He went to the cross to pay the penalty for every sin committed by anyone who would come to faith in him. And then he graciously grants us his life to be judged by. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we call it good news. And these Pharisees were over there going, now you've got to keep the whole law of Moses. The whole law of Moses? That means sacrifices at the temple. Why in the world would you take a sin sacrifice to the temple if your sin has been paid for on the cross once and for all? It doesn't make any sense. Do you see? They don't get it. They don't get it.
And unfortunately, we still have Pharisees in the church at large. Those who elevate certain commands over others. Regardless of what you should do to show your love and appreciation to Jesus Christ, which is the Christian life and guided by the Holy Spirit, all begins with a broken heart. That was Jesus' biggest problem with the Pharisees. You don't get it. It starts here. It starts with your inner life oriented to God in a mode of repentance and awe of his holiness. That's where it starts. And today, we get it on both sides. Both the left and the right have legalists. Fundamentalists on the right. They will do everything they can to avoid certain things. To avoid alcohol, to avoid tobacco, to avoid sexual temptation. They will do everything they can to avoid what they call worldly entertainment. They will do all of that. And yet, it seems so many of them I meet are just so bitter and nasty. And at the same time, as I said, they have nothing to say about greed. They have nothing to say about grace and forgiveness and loving your neighbor. But then, on the left, you've got progressive Christians who say that it's all about helping the poor, and that's great and that's wonderful, but then they accept anything else that the world comes along wholesale as if it's fine, any form of entertainment, any form of drink, anything, anything. And they just take it all in and they don't care. And they're both wrong. And do you see what they're doing when they do that? They're creating their own law that they want to and can follow. They're creating their own word of God, which means they're creating their own God, which means they're creating an idol. And they're not following the one true God. They're not. If you just take the commands you find important and you just follow, try to follow those and ignore all the rest of them, you've decided to slice and dice up the Bible. And you can't do that. The simple fact is, and I hope you're doing this. I know some of you probably made a resolution this year to read your Bible more. I hope you are. There are reading plans out there. Megan, get them to you. I just finished Genesis this morning, and I know it gets to Leviticus, and it gets a little sloggy, but it's worth doing. But you have to know the entire, the whole counsel of God, Genesis to Revelation. You have to read it all. You have to study it all. You have to really take it in. And in order to get the whole counsel of God, and if the whole counsel of God, once you've read it and understood it in context and studied it, if it doesn't bite somewhere, you haven't read it correctly. Because all of us have some dark, unevangelized corner of our life. We just do. And if we truly love Jesus Christ, I want to say thank you for what he's done for us, we will all strive with the help of the Spirit to overcome that. And one of the ways to avoid legalism is focus on yourself first. Quit judging others as, well, I got better off than that guy. Who cares? Focus on yourself. I had a professor in seminary who used to say, the number most important question you have to ask yourself when you're studying Scripture is, what does this require me to change? The coming of Christ, his fulfillment in 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 the cross and the resurrection, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, meant that the Mosaic law is gone. We are no longer bound by it. 
It is there to instruct us. It is there to show us how sinful we are. It is there to show us where our faith came from. It is there to show us how it all points to Jesus Christ and how going all the way back to Genesis 3, the prophecies are there for the coming of Christ. That is why it is there. We don't follow those laws anymore. We follow, hopefully, a conscience formed by Scripture and the Holy Spirit and worship of God. That's what we follow. It's been abolished. Now, I know what you're going to hear. I hear it all the time. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, but your body is a temple. And then they go to use that to condemn whatever thing they don't like. Okay, if I hear that verse taken out of context one more time, I'm going all Jesus on the temple on you. That is not what that verse is about. That verse has nothing to say about alcohol. That verse has nothing to say about tobacco. That, vo- that, that verse has nothing to say about R-rated movies. That, that verse has nothing to say to any of that. Read it in context. It's the same thing James is talking about when he's writing to the Corinthians who were a jacked up bunch. He was telling them, your body is a temple, therefore be sexually pure. And that's all it's referring to. It's not referring to anything else. And typically when I get that, when I get that from somebody, oh, you shouldn't drink, your body's like, oh, you shouldn't smoke, your body's a temple, it's from some guy whose gut's hanging over his belt. I'm going, well, let's take that to the logical conclusion. Because if your body's a temple, it's a temple of french fries. You want to take that to the logical conclusion, go eat some kale chips and shut up. Amazing. Amazing. I put some reasons there that I found compelling about the dangers of legalism in your bulletin. To begin with, as I said, it completely ignores what Jesus said is the most important thing. It begins with the heart. The Christian faith begins with a broken heart. The fact that despite all the sins we commit, all the sinful thoughts that go through our head constantly, the fact that despite all that, God left his throne to live and die for us should break your heart. That's where it begins. When you go into legalism and you define yourself about what you avoid or what you do and others aren't doing and shame on them, You're making it all about you, and you're just feeding your pride, and you end up looking down on people. And within the kingdom of God, we don't look down on anyone. We look up to Jesus Christ, and that's it. He's the only one worthy of praise. It takes Scripture out of context, as I said. It makes our acceptance with God performance-oriented. Like Dad, I'm not a big fan of deathbed confessions, but I'll take them. Jesus took one on the cross, did he not? Remember the thief on the cross? Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Today you'll be with me in paradise. That was enough. I'm not encouraging that, those of you watching online, because you never know when that's going to come. Don't hedge your bets that way. I'm just saying. And here's what legalism also does, it tends to do. For those of you who have raised teenagers, what is the easiest way to get one of them to do something? Don't you do that. Okay, if you were one of those good teenagers, God bless you and keep you, I wasn't. The moment I heard, you can't do that, I was like, all right, there's Friday night. Don't do that either. There's Saturday night. It arouses that in a rebellious spirit. If you've got a rebellious teenager or a rebellious kid, you don't sit there and go, ah, if you do that, you're going to get a disease. You get that, you're going to get in a car wreck. You get that, you're going to go to jail. You get that. You know what you do? You preach the grace of Jesus Christ to them. You preach, do you know how much God loves you? 
That's what you do. There was a single mother, had two sons. Husband ran off on her. Well, she thought that's how men are. Men are pigs. But she left, he left her with two boys. Well, she was going to raise those boys with an iron fist. She knows how boys are. So, she took them to a strict church. Real strict church. Only used one version of the Bible. Had church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. One of them. Hardcore. Always dressed to the nines. No secular music in her house. No movies, no TV, and no spending time with those cuss, drink, smoke, or chew. None of that. You'll be defined by who you hang out with. Well, one son, the older son, did everything he could to make mommy happy. Always khakis on, always his King James Bible in his hand, couldn't wait to get there to church. Went off to preaching school. Began the pastor of that strict church. And he preached just like mommy had raised him. The younger son, however, counted down the days till he could get out of there. And literally, when the hour struck his 18th birthday, the car was already warming up. And he headed as far away as he could and still speak English, California. They ran off, got an apartment, had Netflix, the concerts. But he didn't give up saying that he believed in God. He became a pastor too, but a progressive pastor. And he marched for gay rights, and he lobbied the Capitol for same-sex marriage, and he marched for... Every human right you can think of had a Volkswagen with every protest sign ready to go. More bumper stickers that you could shake a stick at. And there they were. And he thought about his mother and his older brother. He just thought narrow-minded fundamentalists and empty-headed right-wingers. At the same time, his mother and Older brother looked at him and just thought, fake. Not a real Christian. And then one day the trumpet sounded, the trumpet of God. Jesus returned. But they were kind of shocked because they found themselves on Jesus' left-hand side, not his right. All three of them. The younger son spoke up first, began to protest, and said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Jesus, I, I visited prisons. I visited the poor. I fought for the poor. And Jesus said, yes, he nodded. You did. You did. Why did you never look at them and say, now go forth and sin no more? Well, and the mommy and the older brother, they began to speak up. So, wait a minute, Jesus, wait a minute, this isn't right. We've kept ourselves pure for you. Haven't watched any of that secular garbage coming out of Hollywood. He nodded. We attended church three times a week all our lives. He nodded. We never spewed filth, watched filth. He nodded. We never had anything to do with those who did. He stopped. He said, but I did. See the problem? The whole counsel of the word of God. And if it doesn't hit you in some way, you're not reading closely enough. Myself included. Let's pray. Father God, forgive us for 
elevating sins. For some of us, for not caring for our brothers and sisters. For others, condemning and judging. When we ourselves are sinners as well. Your son warned us not to be hypocrites. Not take someone to task for a sin when we have sin ourselves. May all of us, when we sit down with someone struggling with sin, be honest enough to say, this is a we problem, not a you problem. And just to help one another, to love one another, to give even just a dab of the grace to others that you've given to us. May we keep your gospel front and center. And may that define us, break our hearts, remind us how much you love us, and therefore how much we should love others. Not to be soft on sin, but to be loving with the sinner. May we be known this church, for our love for you and our love for each other while still speaking the truth with grace. Pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. All righty, guys. Well, God bless you. God goes with you. If you're at home sitting there in your pajamas drinking coffee, you're causing me to sin because I'm coveting that. Lord willing, I'll see you next time. See you. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.